that we are image bearers. But not just us, all humanity are image bearers. And I talked about what that requires of us and what that prohibits of us. But I began with the thought about the difference between knowledge and wisdom. And I want to review that again today. Knowledge is what I know. I can know that there's a light on my car dash. It's pretty light. Sometimes it's red, sometimes it's yellow, sometimes it's this light, sometimes it's that. It's a light. Wisdom is knowing what that light means and following up with what I know. As we look at this account of Jesus' interaction with a woman at the well in Samaria, I want us to think about wisdom. I want us to think about, okay, this is a really cool story. It talks a lot about how to do evangelism. It talks a lot about relationship between Samaria and Judah. It talks about relation between men and women. But it's so much more. So let me open in prayer, and then we'll look at the story. Father, I do pray that we would encounter Jesus. The scriptures are given not just for us to gain knowledge or insight or truths, doctrine. Those are important. Those, those are necessary. But, but those are absolutely inadequate. And so I pray that as we engage with this story... You, Jesus, would engage us in the way that you engage the Samaritan woman. That we would see you and know that you see us. That we would feel the reality of your conviction and recognize, as we've already confessed and as the quote on the front of our bulletin talks about, we recognize the differences we recognize the failures of others much more than we recognize our own. And when we categorize someone as outside, someone as unacceptable, someone with whom we will not associate, that we're distancing ourselves from you. Hold us close. Change us. Build your kingdom in us and through us. And I pray that as we engage with Jesus this morning, not just truth, not just story, not just, but as we engage with Jesus this morning, we will be changed. In your name we pray. Amen. This is really early in the ministry of Jesus. He's been up in Galilee, he performed the miracle at the wedding of Cana. He then traveled down to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. He spent time after that at the Jordan River baptizing. Um, and so we're going to pick up at that point. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples did. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. 
So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink of water from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And he said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you, are now, the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on the mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking to a woman, but no one said, why do you seek? What do you seek? Why are you talking with her? So the woman left so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know. 
So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. It's a long passage, but it's a really powerful story. What I want us to do is to recognize what is so unique about this conversation that Jesus had. It's unique. First of all, it's very early in his ministry. He came for the Jews. He's been in Galilee, went to Jerusalem for the Passover, is on his way back to Galilee. The passage says that he needed to go through Samaria. Not true. Not true at all. In fact, a faithful Jew would go either by the coast road and go up along the Mediterranean, or he would go along the, the Jordan River and absolutely do everything he could to stay away from Samaria and Samaritans. Jews do not have conversations with women to whom they are not related. You just don't. It's an issue of culture, it's an issue of respect, but it's also an issue of ritual purity. And so, if a Jew were to have a conversation with a woman, it would be through the men who lead her family. Not only was this a woman and a Samaritan, but this happened at noon, the time when it's really hot and really difficult and absolutely nobody chooses to go draw water. So by the fact that this happens the way that it does, we're really clear that this Samaritan woman isn't just a reject to Jews. She's a reject to her people. I want to stop for a moment and think about the category of the other. This woman is other. She's other to everybody except perhaps the man with whom she lives. Nobody wants to do anything with her. Nobody wants to have any activities with her. I want you to think about who are the people you would categorize, whether you want to or not, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, but you categorize them as other. Let me give you two different ways of looking at this. The first is, ask yourself, are there people you don't associate with? You avoid. You don't even think about. You try not to recognize their existence. They may be people 
that you are particularly bitter toward because of hurt. And I understand that. Hurt is not something to ignore. Hurt is not, but, but it is something to pursue redemptively. And we see that in Jesus in this account. The other would be categories of people you will not recognize as an image bearer. They don't fit. They're not us. They don't belong with me. You may not be harsh in your rejection. It may be incredibly subtle. But you just don't think about them. If you have to think about them, it's just really kind of uncomfortable and awkward. But there are other. Samaria was in this category for the Jews. Now, we tend to hear that a lot, but I don't know that people understand all of the events and the history that led to that situation for Judah and Samaria. So I'm going to hit it really quickly. Samaritans were people who rebelled against the line of David the line through whom the Messiah comes. After Solomon, Solomon's son Rehoboam set himself to be harsher, more demanding, and more powerful than his father had been. He said, my father's taxes will be like a feather compared to the taxes I'm going to exact. So 10 of the 12 tribes fled with a, a man named Jeroboam. And God had actually taken those 10 tribes from Solomon because of Solomon's sin. But what Jeroboam did went further. For not only did they rebel against the line of David, they refused to worship God as he commanded. Jeroboam, out of fear, created alternate places for the people of Israel to worship. So they didn't go to Jerusalem for the feasts. They didn't go to the temple to offer sacrifices. They went to two particular places where Jeroboam had set up worship. Ironically, with a statue of a golden calf. So they not only rejected the line of David, they rejected God and his commands. When they were judged... They were defeated by the Assyrians. And in that defeat, the Assyrians took half of the people of Israel and exiled them and brought in Gentiles to fill in the rest of the population. Those who were taken have been lost. The Samaritans were the remainder of the Jews that had been in Israel. And then they intermarried they blended, they blended not only families, but they blended culture and they blended worship. So they became half-breeds. And when Nehemiah and Ezra were brought back from Babylon to restore the temple and to restore the city walls, the Samaritans did everything in their power to stop them. So there was a lot of bad blood between Samaritans and Jews. Again, um, this woman was a Samaritan, but on top of that, she was a woman. She was alone without her husband. 
unprotected and dishonored. Not that a woman isn't independent or able to stand, but you need to understand that in this culture, that was a flagrant disrespect. Jesus' purity and ritual cleanliness, his ability to worship in the temple was at significant risk to be even in a place where this woman was. There's all sorts of hygiene issues that go on with the Jews and ritual purity. And this woman, being an unknown commodity, was a threat to Jesus' ritual purity. But even more, it's obvious by the fact that she came at the hottest part of the day that she was an outcast. And so his ritual purity was even more profoundly at risk. And you would assume that a faithful Jew, if they foolishly had to go to Samaria, would avoid her, would ignore her or perhaps even make her leave by being harsh to her so that there was no risk of damage to the Jew. How does Jesus treat this woman? I think it's more intriguing to understand her response than it is to think about Jesus' comment. His comment looks like it is a command. It could look superior but it's really important to see the way that the woman responds. The woman says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? She's surprised that he even recognized she existed. There is a, a sense of what in her statement. She was unprepared to be treated as someone who had the power to help a Jew. Think about that for a moment. Jesus didn't ask to use her pot. Jesus didn't try to take care of himself. He put himself in a position of being served by this Samaritan woman at noon. Next. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus reveals to this woman who he is. I want that to rock your world. I want you to see the character of Jesus, that instead of rejecting, insulting, harassing this woman, he reveals himself to her. Then he says something that may seem jarring, but I want you to understand what he's doing. She makes a comment. He says, go, call your husband and come here. That might seem out of place, but it's an invitation. Remember, for him to honor her, he needs to be able to speak to her in ways that are appropriate. When he says, go call your husband, what he's saying is, let's open up a conversation. Let's have a dialogue. Let's honestly engage on this, because I can tell you how to get the living water. He reveals that he knows 
who she is. Go, call your husband and come here. I don't have a husband. You speak the truth. You've been married five times, and the man you're with now is not your husband. Do you see the opening he's giving her for being able to address her unbelievable need? He reveals himself. He reveals himself in a way that reveals he sees her. I know you personally. You're not just a Samaritan woman who's out at a well in the middle of the day. I know how many husbands you have. I know the broken relationships you've lived with. I know the fact that the man you're with now is not a husband. I know your brokenness. I know your sin. She again tries to distract. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. You nailed it. You're right. That, that's my life. By the way, you Jews want to worship in Jerusalem, but, but, but we Samaritans worship here. Now she's wiggling. It's too close to home. I don't know if I can trust this man with who I am. I mean, it's really intriguing that he knows me, he's engaged with me, he's told me that he has the ability to give me living water, but I don't trust him. What if I open up? I know that the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. I who stand before you am he. He hasn't told the disciples. He hasn't told anybody. I'm the Messiah. I am here to save. The disciples come back. There's an interaction with the disciples, and at the end of the conversation with this woman, she goes into town telling everybody that she sees, you got to come meet this guy. Oh, my goodness, could he be the Christ? The disciples come back, and they're thinking all the same Absolutely amazed thoughts that the woman did when she first encountered Jesus. What the heck is going on here? It says that they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But they knew better than to ask what he was doing. And so Jesus speaks with the disciples. He talks about harvest. He's apparently jumping all over the place, if, if we don't see the thread that unifies what he's doing, it looks bizarre. Prophets, water, harvest? Oh my goodness, what in the world are you doing? You're hopping everywhere. Can't you hold a coherent thought? But he does. You look and you see that the harvest of wheat is four months off. 
Harvest is important. We do a good harvest, we eat. We do a bad harvest, we starve. Jesus says, harvest is not wheat. Food is not our sustenance. He talks about a harvest, which is a real harvest, a harvest of image bearers, which he's categorizing the Samaritans as image bearers, as people who deserve dignity and respect and for whom he has come to bring salvation. The disciples have a lot to learn. And we'll get back to that with the end of the passage. But let's move on to the people from the city. Many Samaritans from that town um, believed in him because of the woman's testimony. They listened to her and they came out to the well to encounter this amazing person who claims to be the Christ. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days. Now let's go back to the beginning of the passage where it said he needed to travel through Samaria. You might try to make a case that Jesus was in a rush, and that because the fastest way to get to Galilee from Jerusalem is Samaria. It's the straightest route. And so obviously he had to go quickly, but then why did he talk to the woman? And when the people asked him to stay two days and become ritually unclean, why did he stay? It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And please hear this. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Do you see the graciousness? Do you see the gracious way Jesus encountered the woman? He didn't shame her. He didn't do this in front of his disciples. He didn't do this in a way that accentuated her foreignness, her otherness, her sin. He was gracious. He was gracious to the disciples. You don't understand what I'm doing yet. You don't know what I'm up to. I'll give you a hint. It's about the harvest. And another hint, image bearers are the harvest. And another hint, Samaritans are image bearers. And he stays in the town with them not under a time crunch. He taught them. He revealed himself not only to the woman, but also to the disciples and to the town. They come to faith. This is much like the story at the end of Nebuchadnezzar. We don't know what happened to Nebuchadnezzar after he was restored, but we know that his profound statement of the glory of God is among the most beautiful I have in Scripture. The emperor, who out of his pride and selfishness spent seven years as a wild animal, 
was humbled. And in his humility, he professed the glory of the Creator. The people of Sychar speak and declare that they know that Jesus is the Savior of the world. This is chapter 4 of John. The Jews don't do this. The Jews don't do this. Instead, they crucify Jesus. This is incredible. So I want to highlight and recap. Jesus sees image bearers. He treats them with dignity, compassion, redemptive care, because he's not leaving the Samaritans as Samaritans. He's not telling them, continue in your worship at Mount Gerizim. He's not telling them that who you are is fine, this is okay, just keep going. He brings them to Christ. He's honest, and he restores them. He doesn't pull punches. He doesn't look for approval. He brings life. They have responded to the truth. They receive him, and now it is theirs to follow him. And if we want to understand what that following him looks like, it's similar to what he says to the disciples the night that he's betrayed. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The way to grow, the way to become who God calls and equips us to be is to love Jesus. If what you take from this story is a wonderful example of how to evangelize and a call for the importance of evangelism, you've missed it. You skimmed right over the surface and you lost the depths of what Jesus is revealing to us. Don't be tempted to rush out and model Jesus' evangelistic methods. Don't be tempted to go out and think, oh my goodness, there's a lot of others in my life. I really need to focus on how I treat others. I really need to repent. I really, I really need to be a better person. I, I'm convicted. I just don't measure up. If that's the approach that you take, the person in view is you. That's not the point of the story at all. You missed it. See Jesus. Sit at his feet. Linger in his compassion, his gentleness, and his convicting truth. But recognize that when Jesus brings conviction, it is not with condemnation. It can't be. Jesus is the one who goes to the cross. Jesus is the one who says, it's finished. The debt is paid. You do not obey Jesus for your position. You do not obey Jesus for your sense of security. You do not obey Jesus to obligate God. 
Brothers and sisters, that's idolatry. It is not obedience. You obey Jesus because you love. You love because he first loved you. You plead for the presence of the Holy Spirit to empower you, to challenge you, to conform you to the image of Christ. And you remember that what Jesus says about a teacher, a rabbi, and his disciples. The most effective disciple is only as good as the teacher who teaches. See Jesus. If you love me, wrestle with that. Who is this one? What does he show of himself in the Gospels? How do I go below the surface to understand the depths that he is giving? If you're a little bit nervous about trying to move in Christ-likeness toward those that you don't associate with, you're still missing it. Jesus will not take you where you can't go. Jesus will not send you on your own. Jesus goes with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus empowers you. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. We're about to set set the table. We're about to experience the Lord's Supper, which was what he did right before he gave the disciples the statement, if you love me. He's about to feed you. He's about to give you grace. He's about to give you strength. This is a tangible expression of his love and his commitment and his presence and his purposes. Please see Jesus. Jesus, it is remarkable when we get a glimpse. It is remarkable when you reveal yourself, but we are dull and slow of eye and heart. We are a people who lives with predictable and the familiar. We are a people who trust what we know, what we have, and it's really difficult to trust you when all that is taken away. But honestly, it's not really there anyway. You are. And so I pray that we would see you, that we would linger, that we would grow in our love for you, that we would recognize your calling to reflect you, that we would be a people for whom others come and look and say, what's different? Where does your hope come from? How can you live this way? Why don't you hate me? And I pray that the outcome would be the building of your kingdom. It would be the redemption of the lost. It would be the maturity of the believers 
it would be the glory of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.